episode number 123, one, two, three, go of Stand Under the Don't Tree and Riddle Me This, a podcast about video games. My name is Cole Ross, and I am joined via Skype today by... Ben Merkel. David Meisman. Thank you so much, fellas, for joining us. Dennis was not able to uh, join us due, due to some uh, misfortune, but we will have him back soon, we hope. But uh, yeah, this is a podcast. We talk about video games. We talk about things that are happening. Thank you so much for tuning in, however you're, however you're doing it, whether it's through duckfeed.tv or through iTunes or whatever crazy little, little device you're using. Well, why don't we tell you a little bit about what we have in store? Uh, for today, traditional episode, we got some quick hits. We're going to be talking about some uh, major announcements from Nintendo and Blizzard. Have a uh, new little uh, quicker hits, like bite-sized uh, uh, morsels of things that I think you should pay attention to. That'll fall safely after the quick hits. And then we're going to talk about what we've been playing. I've got a big one, uh, something I played for review that uh, turned out to be really, really good. Um, and I don't know what you guys have, but uh, I'm sure it'll be entertaining. And we're going to round everything out with a discussion question about moral choices in games so we're going to take a quick little music break and come back right on the right on the other side with the quick hits It's time for the quick hits portion of the show where we talk about uh, video game news in a very hasty manner. And to aid this, I am setting an arbitrary time limit anywhere from uh, two to six minutes uh, for each of these uh, stories so that our discussion can uh, have motivation to proceed at a, at a good clip. So let's hear the little coin sound. Ben, take her away. All right. So Nintendo. Do you guys like Nintendo? They're okay. I'm ambivalent. All right. Well, they're going through some tough times right now. Sure, it was fun the last four or five years with the Wii. They enjoyed record sales month after month. Whatever. Um, This last week, it's a little bit more dismal for Nintendo. They uh, lowered their profit forecast by 82%. And that's a pretty big margin. And the reason why they did this is they have had weaker sales on the 3DS, and there's a loss of investor confidence after the announcement of the Wii U, meaning people don't think it's going to bank like the Wii. Do you think they're going to call Wii U PU? <laughs> wow. They really set themselves up for that, didn't they? They did. They did. <sighs> but anyway, anyway. And then in related news, they also announced that they're going to drop the price of the 3DS from $250 to $170 starting August 12th. So. <laughs> uh, that, 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 that's what they lopped a little over a third off of that price, a little under a third rather. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Tough times for Nintendo. Yeah. Well, uh, go ahead. For the people, though, who have already bought a 3DS and might feel a small... A small sense of injustice about this. Uh, Nintendo said they were that anyone who connects to the 3DS, their 3DS to the Nintendo eShop, will get free access to several virtual console games from Game Boy Advance and NES. So, a ray of hope for those who have already invested in Nintendo. Yeah. But well, hopefully, they can get the ship corrected. So, I'm going to put um, five minutes on the clock. All right, so our, our, the, I guess the big question here is why did they do this? What, what, what got them scared? 
Do you think it was the PS Vita coming out at the same price and obviously being more machine? Or uh, do you think there is another an, another uh, factor, like maybe the market has changed since the DS had its initial success and more people are playing uh, portable games on their cell phones and might not be able to fit a whole new uh, portable machine into their digital lifestyles? See, I never, I don't know, I never really, I really loved the game, um, Game Boy, Game Boy Advance, um, Game Boy DS, mm-hmm. but I just never... They never really made the case why I needed the 3DS. You know, we've discussed this in the past. I always felt like it should, you know, it, it struck me as being basically the same as the difference between the Game Boy and the Game Boy Pocket. Not really an upgrade, just kind of cooler. Did, I don't know. He, or like maybe the Game Boy and the Game Boy Color. Yeah. Yeah, that might, I, I mean, that's. But, I mean, I would say even the original, but definitely that would be an accurate um, yeah. description. Well, here's, here's, here's my question for you. You say they need to make a case, but isn't all the case they need to make, isn't that like, hey, we're going to stop making games for this other thing, and if you want to play our games, you're going to have to buy this other thing? You know, like, we're okay, all of these games that we make that you want to play, and actually have these other publishers, too. I mean, if there's cool stuff coming out for the system, which there will be uh, eventually, um, some would argue that there is now, but we will not uh, give them much mind. Um, you know, but looking at Mario 3D, looking at uh, Star Fox 3D, looking at Mario Kart 3D, I mean, those those seem to me to be compelling reasons to get it down the line. Maybe not to buy it right now, but, you know, eventually. Right. See, I feel like that primarily works if you're um, a Nintendo fanboy. I mean, I, I don't like most of those. I don't really like Mario, Star Fox, any of those. I really don't care about Nintendo. I just really liked um, the actual portable, you know, um, Game Boy hardware. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, that that really doesn't matter. But, I mean, and as I'm sure someone's going to say, there's alternatives now. Yeah, I guess I guess there's you know I, I guess that 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 case could be made. Also, looking historically, I mean the the DS didn't really take off, and in fact, a lot of people were scoffing at it until two years after it launched when they brought out the the DS Lite, and they dropped the price by twenty dollars, I think, or something like that. So you know this this could be something like that that's being carried out on a bigger scale, too. I mean, I didn't want to buy a 3DS or a DS rather until the DS Lite came out. And in fact, um, until I saw them, you know, dropping the price like it was a hot potato here, I was waiting for the redesign of the 3DS, uh, you know, because you never buy the first version of something. You never do that. <laughs> you don't. It's just, it's, it's just a way to get burned. I don't know. But yeah, that's that's worrisome. I mean, I can't I can't think of a bigger cry for help than that. And if they're trying to inspire confidence in the brand and if they're trying to inspire confidence in their product, um, they're not doing it because charging too much for something uh, is a bad thing. And charging way too little for it is also a bad thing. Um, cause if somebody, you know, has a Jaguar out on, on the, uh, in, in the driveway and it has a sign on it that says $100, you are going to ask some serious questions about why that thing is that price. Do you think that, um, do you think though that the idea of, you know, taking a loss on the hardware and making it up on the software is a valid strategy? That's uh, worked in the past for the entire industry for the past 30 years. <laughs> 
I mean, that they're just, you know, traditionally, I mean, Microsoft, I mean, the most recent example, Microsoft didn't turn a profit on their entire uh, Xbox division until I think 2008, 2009. You know, it's that, that that's that's one strategy that, that they traditionally have taken because it, it becomes more about, OK, how do we how do we raise the install base so we get how do we raise the install base so we get licensing money as opposed to making money off the actual boxes? I think the only people who can afford to uh, actually have a margin on their hardware are Apple, um, and uh, just the, the the two industries are just are just wildly different at this point. Yeah. Yep. So that is the end of that question. Any final thoughts? Cheer up, Nintendo. Cheer up. We, 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 I think that you know we may scoff, but we're rooting for you. We don't want to see anybody fail. You made so much money off the Wii anyway. Yeah, you, I do. I want to see him fail. <laughs> You can't speak for all of us, Cole. EA Sports has launched their season ticket program for $25 annually. Uh, Players of Madden, NCAA football, FIFA, NHL, and Tiger Woods uh, will get, quote, premium web content, a 20% discount on DLC, and the ability to download uh, these games three days prior to their uh, physical launch at retail. Now, one big caveat of this uh, whole download thing is that the digital versions will be deactivated when the retail copy when the retail copy is available meaning that you'll have to actually buy the game in a physical store if you want to keep on playing it additional note that may or may not be related to this gamestop is the exclusive retail partner for this plan um (laughs) now in addition to this players who have purchased the season ticket will be labeled as paying customers um, across the game's interface and uh, for everybody else. So it's kind of like having the special pets in World of Warcraft, uh, just so people can know that you got the special edition. It's like having shiny armor. No big deal. <laughs> so let's uh, let's let's put uh, three minutes on the clock and start. So this is EA trying to get more money out of uh, online play. EA, you know, in the past has been a really big um, proponent of the whole $10 you know, online pass kind of thing. Do you think that this is just an experiment to try and uh, figure out what people's tolerance is? Perhaps, yeah. Do any of us play football games? I I don't see why you'd need more than one. <laughs> more I than mean, one. Does, does, does the game change each year? I, I thought it was fairly constant. I, I mean, the, 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 the actual rules of football don't change. Um, right. You know, ex- except when, you know, oh, we need to wear helmets because we're pussies. Um, but um, no, no, the actual rules of football don't change, but the, the rosters change. And as far as features go, like each year they focus on something else. So, if, you know, uh, one year it'll be the passing game. You know, the, the other year it'll be, you know, play running. The other year it'll be like, OK, we've really beefed up the franchise mode. And, you know, especially when you're talking about Madden, most of those extra features come over from from NCAA. Um, so, you know, so year to year, those, those things, um, those things are definitely, uh, a factor in getting people to buy the different games. But, you know, I'm just wondering if this is, you know, too meek of an offering. It's kind of like the call of duty elite, right? Where yeah. it's just kind of like, okay, we'll give you stat tracking, but is that a compelling enough reason to play it or, you know, to, to, to pay for this? Whereas if they, um, if they charge to actually play it online, people would perceive it as a, as a, as a dick move, rightfully so probably. Um, well, I mean, but, the games would become irrelevant. 
Maybe I don't, I don't know, but but I mean there are enough people out there who are who believe in that product enough to you know to kind of buy into the Walt community. So I'm just wondering if you know they're not giving enough bang for the buck, or if they need to kind of you know pare some features back from the free version in order to make this something that actually you know works. I mean let's face it, they're already charging people to play it on you know to play their games online. It's just not a persistent thing. Yeah, I immediately thought of the uh, Call of Duty Elite package when I read this story because it seems like the same general idea, like a mild upgrade to your regular gaming experience for about fifteen or twenty bucks. Yeah. So, which I have to give them props for, um, you know, something. I I love the idea of downloadable content, but I feel like almost every time they overcharge for it and i mean 25 dollars a year you know that's a little more than two dollars a month you know at least there, there's finally a company that's charging a reasonable price keep in mind though that this 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 membership it gets you 20 percent of a discount off of your you know, off of the dlc that they're offering right so i mean you know if you uh, if you buy dlc that's very reasonable keeping in mind also that um a lot of people who play these games, uh, the sports games, and uh, I would even say Call of Duty as well, it's kind of all they play. So that doesn't that doesn't hurt them as much as you know somebody like me who's buying DLC and actually buying new games, you know, several times a year, um, rather than how you know rather than kind of you know, it's kind of like you know if, if you're a Christmas and Easter churchgoer, these are Madden and Call of Duty gamers. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good analogy. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. Blizzard has announced that Diablo 3 will have a um, auction house where players can sell um, in-game items for real money um, to other players, um, I guess as opposed to, to the Chinese. Mm-hmm. Um, and there'll be a flat fee on each um, transaction um, and with a percentage going to um, Activision. Um, well, it looks like there there will actually be a flat fee on the transaction and also a flat fee when you cash out. It's a per, um, it's a percentage. Uh, a we'll percentage, be out yeah. Of cashed out. Okay, okay, that makes a lot more sense actually. Um, and that will be in addition to an actual normal in-game, um, you know, in-game money auction house. Um, when they're asked about fairness of the program, um, the heads of Blizzard, um, which Sounds awesome, by the way. Um, uh, pointed out that they can't stop um, third-party um, sales of items. So, I guess it's if you can't, you know, you know, stop them, you might as well join them. Right. I feel. I feel like that would be like if the U.S. government started like selling pot because. You know, we can't stop them, but that's neither here nor there. We might as well take you know, get tax revenue out of it, which is an argument for legalization, but let's so continue. The, <laughs> the Ron Paul approach to stopping gold farmers. I like except, it. except they wouldn't tax it. Um. <laughs> okay. Well, so, no, that's that's what the percentage is. Oh, well, okay. Yeah, there we go. So we're going to put four minutes on the clock here. Uh, the, does this seem to you guys to be a way for Blizzard to make more money or a way to protect players from uh, from themselves? I feel I feel much better about this now that I hear that it's not you can just buy items from Blizzard. There's at least some relation to it being in game, right? But the but the problem is, and the thing that really kind of unnerves me, you know, there 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 is still a thriving market for Diablo for for Diablo two um, 
items. But did you know about the Stone of Jordan effect? Uh, which one's that? Uh, basically, so the Stone of Jordan is an item that you that that you can get from a you know from a oh yeah right? for the bosses. You're, I mean, like I don't know about from bosses or something, but it's a very it's a very rare item that doesn't have much practical use within the game. But because of uh, but because the economy is messed up from people buying and selling items and all uh, and all that, and the actual currency is is useless. You know, when you're talking about trades, you know, it's, it's the the currency that is listed for a trade isn't so much the gold or the silver or whatever Diablo has. I think it's just gold. Um, it's actually like, I'll give you five stones of Jordan for this ultimate breastplate of frost doom, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so the, so this, the, this kind of, you know, I don't know, stinks of stinks of that almost. And how do you assign, a, you know, an actual value to these things? You know, that's yeah. the that, that's the weird part, because, you know, the person can decide what it's for. It'll actually be a really interesting kind of kind of uh, micro experiment and economics deciding, yeah. you know, how that goes, because it's all random drops. You know, it's not like the quality of what you get is at all related to how to how hard you work for it. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'd say that would probably be the biggest risk I could see is that, you know, most online games obviously um, have problems with inflation. So I would say, you know, if it became if it became a thing where the vast majority of players didn't do it, just like um, most free to play games, mm-hmm. then I don't see it being a problem because you know it wouldn't affect your average person. The problem is if it became so cheap, which it likely could, that your average person would be able to do it. It then creates a system where the game revolves around the quest to get better items, but then if you can just buy it, the game immediately becomes meaningless. Right. Yeah. <sighs> it's complicated. It kind of hurts my head, actually, just a little bit, because... Yeah, I just, I don't know, this seems really sketch to me, just because I don't see there being any real call for it. But does it seem any 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 sketchier than third-party sites popping up where, you know, you you use PayPal or something to, to get this, and then you meet up for a trade? I mean, I don't think... Blizzard... Yeah, I feel like, one, I feel like the people in question mostly get scammed, mm-hmm. um, which I'm... Uh, fan of but no i still think most players don't use those sites on some degree of moral principle mm-hmm. and therefore it it keeps it out of the game as a whole right i guess when yeah when they add this thing they're kind of not necessarily encouraging but condoning the buying of these items yeah that's true it's just weird because they don't need to make money off of it they really don't I mean, in, unless this was something that was, you know, pressure from the top to monetize Diablo in a way that World of Warcraft was monetized, you know, it's, they, they, they don't need the cash flow from this because it's going to sell like gangbusters. So that, that, that motive, to my mind, is ruled out. Yeah. Although, let's be honest, it's Activision. <laughs> Activi- I think Activision is the new AEA. Can we say that? I, I think Activ- Activision is the new punching bag. That's our time. This this next one, this next quick hit is called Rapid Fire because it contains many quick hits within one quick hit. So I'm just going to go down it. I'm going to going to put in a cool little sound effect here, and uh, and and uh, each each one I'm going to put in another sound effect. So, so is it gonna, is it going to be like space lasers? Uh, something like that. I was thinking like Uzi Fire. 
Um, uh, I, don't, I don't know. Okay. Is there any like rapid fire upgrade sound from some awesome game? I don't know. Oh, I'm sure like Contra. Um, that that would be one thing. You're making more work for me. Yeah, that's our job. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so item number one. Breath of Fire 4 is going to be available on PSN, uh, for users of PSN, rather, um, on August the 16th. Uh, no pricing for this game was mentioned, um, which is amazing because I have thought about getting it, although it might be cheaper for me to actually buy the game itself off of eBay for $80 than to get a uh, PSN-ready device. Here I am, all dressed up in the world go. Hate it. <laughs> Man, I want to play that game. Item number two, Machinarium, one of my favorite um, adventure games of the past couple of years, uh, should be available on the iPad within the next month, pending Amanita Design's success with porting the game out of Flash. iPad, no Flash. Machinarium in Flash. Problems. <laughs> Discuss. Discuss. No, that's a good game. You, you have that, right, Ben? I, did, I was thinking about this as you were saying it. Yeah, I have this game from the Humble Indie Bundle. Haven't played it yet, oh. but... Keep keep talking it up. I'll uh... highly recommended. Highly recommended. Is that the one that's sort of steampunky? Yeah, yeah. It's got kind of a sepia design to it too. Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 really good. Um, one of my favorite. I have one of my favorite soundtracks out of a game uh, in the past uh, in the past minute too. So, yeah. So iPad seems like a good fit for it. And finally, item number three. Final Fantasy Tactics War of the Lions will have launched on the iPhone shortly before this episode airs. Uh, if you're listening on Friday when this comes out, uh, then it was out on yesterday, and you should be able to buy it now. Um, it's slated to be priced at $14.99, which is high for the uh, App Store, but um, actually kind of low for a Final Fantasy game. And an iPad version will be available next month. One caveat, though, you have to have um, an iPhone 3GS or later. Um, it will not work on the regular one or the 3G either. Uh, should work on iPod Touches after the second gen, though. Is this the one that was originally made? I only ever played um, Advanced. This, the, yeah, this this is the one that was on the PlayStation. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So that was Rapid Fire. Check those things out because they're good. I recommend them. Just Cole's favorite thing. Yeah. question for you what you been playing i mean we're here to talk about games right wait that's why we're here <laughs> hey how's your week going <laughs> okay. You know. okay. <laughs> should i start i don't know I, mean, I never know how to answer this question you never know okay. week after week week after week you know it's not like we have been doing this for a while i know okay, Some, okay. All right. sometimes i deflect and say it's too personal yeah this week, I just don't know how to answer. Okay. I can go first. Okay, yeah, go first. I have a, a sh short thing that I've been playing. Um, Grand Theft Auto, The Ballad of Gay Tony. Ooh. I started playing that this last week. Uh, since there's absolutely no games out right now, mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of, I guess it's backlog season, so to say. Um, so I have the complete series of the Grand Theft Auto 4. So it's like the the two additional games in the original Grand Theft Auto 4. So there's The Lost and the Damned, and there's Ballad of Gay, T Ballad of Gay Tony. And I had, uh, when I originally got the game, I had ar I'd already played through Grand Theft Auto 4, and I had tried both of the additional games, but never really delved too far into them. Mm -hmm. So this last week I went in and started playing Ballad of Gay Tony again. It's a pretty fun game. It, uh, 
it totally brings back like the feelings from a uh, Vice City where it's it's just fun to play. Yeah. Like you're not doing things like calling someone on a cell phone or going to an internet store to look at your email. Like sometimes you do this, but it's not as much as Grand Theft Auto 4. Mm-hmm. So you're they they found they found a way to make the game fun. So <laughs> So that's that's been pretty enjoyable. I heard the good thing. The good thing about it was that they like brought back some of the goofiness from um, San Andreas. Like there's yeah. there, there's like base jumping and parachuting now. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yep. So I yeah I just got done with a mission today where you push a person off a helicopter and then dive and catch him and then parachute to safety just to scare him. Oh, you point break him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. No, that's pretty cool. Oh, so yeah. you're just trying it's just to scare him. So you're yeah. giving a, you're giving him an attitude adjustment. Yeah. You yeah. You, you can punch him and slap him before that if you want to. There's, <laughs> there's a many, yeah, no, there's a part when where it's can like, you not? It's a, have you ever seen the movie Old Boy by any chance? No. Oh, yes. Have you seen it? It's a it's a was it a Korean movie, uh, but it opens up with a man holding another man by his tie over a building. Oh. And do you know what I'm talking about? No, I don't know what you're talking about, but it sounds it sounds captivating. It, yeah, it's cool. Um, he just wants to tell him his story, right? Yeah, exactly. But um, so this was kind of like this, where you're holding this guy out of a helicopter by, I guess, his shirt or his tie, and then, but there's like a mini game where it's like press square to slap him, plus press circle to punch him, and press triangle to throw him out of the helicopter. Oh. And <laughs> sort, sort of like the like the torture scene in um, oh, Cod Blobs. Pretty much. It sounds like an interrogation. Yeah. So So basically you mock execute this guy. Yeah. <laughs> and then a, a couple missions later, you're on the top of the Empire State Building, whatever the equivalent is in Liberty City, and you're chasing a man up a ladder to the top, and then you also have a, a shotgun that can shoot down helicopters. So it's like there's just fun moments in this game that were completely gone in Grand Theft Auto 4. So I've been I've been pretty satisfied with it so far. Have you played uh, Saints Row uh, two uh, specifically? I have not played Saints Row two. I think I played part of Saints Row one, like either a demo or part of the game at a friend's house. But okay, because you know the the stuff that you're saying, where the goofiness kind of you know made you feel like you were having more fun. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people are saying that Saints Row two is what Grand Theft Auto four should have been. Whereas Grand Theft Auto Four went in a more kind of gray and brown realistic direction, Saints Row Two, you know, you're walking around in a pimp suit, you know, shooting sewage at people, and <laughs> uh, and uh, a lot of people took it, uh, you know, t- t- took it to be the, in the spirit of things more so than Grand Theft Auto Four was. So okay. I, I'm 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 being uh, I'm being Netflix here saying you might also enjoy. <laughs> you might also like Saints <laughs> yeah. Row. Okay, yeah. I'll have to check it out. Mm-hmm. Cool, I'm glad you like it. Uh, yeah, you got that like for Christmas or something, right? Like this was a couple this was a while ago. I can't even remember when I got it. Yeah. So Cool. Well, did you have anything else? That's the main. I mean, as always, I've played Modern Warfare 2 the last week, but yeah. there's there's nothing to say about that. <laughs> uh David, what up? See, um a couple of things actually. Um been playing um actually pulled up the pronunciation Stalker Call of Pripyat? How do you say that? Call of some nasty uh, Russian city. Um, so I don't know if you guys have played it at all. It's basically a sandbox um, survival horror game. 
Now, is this is, is this a sequel to Stalker, or is it a or is it a uh, an expansion? This one's a sequel. A sequel, this so it's on a, a it's on a whole different engine then. Uh yes, actually, this one's um, dramatically upgraded. This is really, um, you know, most reviews um, kind of said, and this was kind of how people took it that. This was the first game in the series that they were all good, but this is the first one that doesn't have a lot of, like, indie, pseudo-shoddy glitchiness going on. It's the first one that, they, you, like, you could genuinely recommend to somebody who didn't know anything about it. Yeah, that, you know, it's the first one that's polished, I guess. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, I don't know, it's really a lot of fun. I would say, um, I feel like... Grant, I'm not a huge connoisseur of the genre, but I feel like it's the only game that I could say truly has a survival aspect of survival horror. I mean, this, um, this is you're, you're like scrounging for food. This is this is like Fallout meets the road, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot of you know, huge, huge, huge is you know scrounging for weapons and ammunition, and you know, you're just constantly. Um, you know, um, all of the enemies in the game are completely AI-driven, and um, it's all sandboxy. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you're just constantly watching your back for, um, you know, some of the completely horrifying um, Cthulhu-esque mutants that are in the game. Right. So, I mean, it's just, it's a very different feel, you know, stepping out of one of the, like, compounds and knowing you have to get to the other side of the map and having no idea what's in between. Uh-huh. Um, the other thing I'd say that's unique about it is um, it's the only game I've played so far that actually is AI-driven. And what I mean by that is, you know, in most games, if you really get down to it, even if the AI is very good... It boils down to the AI doesn't actually do anything when you're not around. Mm-hmm. While Stalker, I mean, the AI is good but not great, but it's constantly running. Okay. So, I mean, there, there will be times where, like, I'll, um, you know, save somewhere, then enter a room and, like, get gunned down. And then, like, reload, go into the same room and find that, like, the guy who previously attacked me, like, wandered to a completely different room and is off doing something. You know, it's just, it gives it a dramatically different feel. So it relies less on, like, scripting. Yeah, I mean, um, the thing is, there's a couple of elements that are scripted in terms of broadly what happens. But it's always AI-driven. It doesn't cheat. So to give you an idea, um, actually in the first game, there's one part where you go down in this underground lab and you know, you're halfway through the level and this monster sneaks up behind you and attacks you. Mm-hmm. And I got tired of you know, that keeping happening. So finally one time I entered the lab and just sat there for a couple minutes, and the monster actually walks down, you know, the mm-hmm. stairs you came in after a couple minutes, and was actually tracking you through all of the um, lab, and just attacked you when it finally caught up to you. Okay. Uh, so you, you basically use that knowledge to reverse stalk him. Yeah, and I, I would say that that's kind of why I say it's got a real survival aspect. There's a very strong sense to, after you've played a game for a while, 
you kind of develop a lot of survival skills where, you know, you'll go into a building and say, like, or to an area and instantly know, oh, this setting, this is where blood um, suckers like to hide. I need to watch my back. Yeah. So, so I mean, very good. It's like being a tracker or a ranger, just kind of like, it's you know, oh, here's water. There's going to be snakes, you know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Would you, would, uh, you, would you call the game scary? Um, you know, the one thing I will say that's a little bit too bad um, is that because it's much more polished to a certain degree, it's it's much less just like randomly asininely difficult, mm-hmm. which is good from gameplay standpoint, but is kind of unfortunate from a you know being scary standpoint. But yeah, I would say it's truly scary. Um, you know, to give you an idea, there's one part where. Um, there's these monsters called bloodsuckers that literally my entire goal within the game is not to run into them. <laughs> um, like when I buy weapons, I don't buy weapons to help me beat the game. I buy weapons based on what can I best kill bloodsuckers with. Okay. <laughs> um, and there's one level where you're like with another guy like infiltrating their nest and like you crash down through and find this room full of sleeping bloodsuckers uh-huh. and have to sneak past them so there's just some very terrifying stuff yeah tense stuff yeah um cool actually the the other thing i've been playing that's interesting is are you guys familiar with um all points bulletin app like on the psn uh yeah yeah it's um you know it's basically i'm playing on pc but it's basically mmo grand theft auto yeah yeah i know Um, about it from what you told me yeah yeah and it's it's very interesting. Um, you know, it's got a surprisingly um, fleshed out feature list in terms of like it has the like midnight club car um, customization. You can make custom clothing. Um, you know, there's driving, shooting, stuff like that. Um, all PvP, all um, cops versus robbers type of thing. Right. And I would say. Um, you know, I I really like this setting. You know, there's something a bit different between, um, you know, talking to an NPC and, you know, World of Warcraft, having them tell you about the druids trying to save the environment versus talking to a NPC in this game and having them tell you about where you can get free, um, free beer because you're an enforcer. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit more relatable. Yeah, yeah, and I would say on the whole, it's I would sort of compare it not in terms of quality um, to kind of Battlefield Two in that the um, the open world setting really changes the feel of the gameplay. Okay. So the one downside, though, is all the um, all the weapons are rentals, and um, I actually checked what you'd have to pay in real money to um, unlock something permanently and the minimum is twenty dollars so it's it's one of those games they they need to get their um uh definition of microtransactions on the floor as dennis said <laughs> that's a macro transaction sir <laughs> so but i mean it's it's very fun and um i love the whole like 80s-esque like um you know Gang war, except with cops, you know, um, a Robocop type of feel. So, yeah. 
That's yeah. funny. So, so, so they went to microtransactions after the game flopped as a subscription model, right? Right. Okay. You still can subscribe, and it's basically just you. Um, you at that point get money quicker and experience quicker. Mm-hmm. So okay, yeah. So that that that's just something. If you're not wow, that's what you have to do. That's the way that the business works now. So. <laughs> Hmm. Yeah. 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 So, anything else about uh, APB? I don't. Um, I've got to say it's. I I've been very present, pleasant, pleasant, presently. I'm, I'm presently pleasantly surprised. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's it's a lot of fun being able to hop in a car with. You know, for the people do and do drive-bys on like another team of villains. Okay. Well, can I tell you guys about Catherine? I'm reading your review right now. <laughs> I linked it to you just just so you could have a have a point of reference. This is going to be what I'm going to be working off of. If you want to see the review, I wrote it on GamingTruth.com. If you just go there and do a search for Catherine, should be the top uh, the top result. I wrote 1,200 words about it, um, which is a lot of words um, if you consider that your average sentence has about like five to seven uh, words. Um, <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, I, I really liked it. It's, it's really good. Um, I hadn't spoken about anything except for the demo uh, last week. I don't have to talk about the premise too much. You should just know that it doesn't really fit into any one genre. Um, dating sim slash puzzle game but not really dating. It's more like a dude living his life and trying to decide about being a grown up. Um, yeah, it's, it, I, I definitely was pleasantly surprised by the, by the kind of mature tone as opposed to quote unquote mature tone, because everything leading up to this, you know, even like the promo images make it seem like hyper sexualized, but that's not really what it even is. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yes, it is. Dang it. You know, <laughs> but no, I mean, it's, it's, it's good because it's not about like, oh my gosh, am I cheating? It's more about like, oh my gosh, when am I going to grow the hell up? And the decisions that you make in the game kind of fall into that. I'm going to leave my discussion about kind of the moral choices that you make um, until the end, because that's what our discussion question is about. Oh, that, um, that fit in nicely. Yes, it did. No, that's why I opted for your suggestion. But um, <laughs> but I will say that, you know, you spend a good portion of the game, like the RPG, quote unquote, uh, parts are, you know, you're you're talking with these two women. Uh, you know, in text messages from this bar and you're walking around and helping out the other patrons. And as much as the game, you know, is named after a woman and, you know, there are two, you know, two, two prominent female characters, really it's about the guys in the story. Each of them is, you know, is, is trying to deal with their own uh, kind of, uh, you know, problems related to, you know, when, when am I going to grow up and how you help them. Uh, you know, that'll, that'll determine who's there to teach you new techniques as you go forward. Um, and those techniques are important because like the actual like block pushing and pulling stuff, man, that, that gets tough. That gets really, really hard. Yeah. Like I'm not ashamed to say it. And in fact, I would encourage you to, um, if you're in, in, in this mostly for the story, which you should be, cause it's amazing. Um, play it on easy, at least at first, because you get, um, a certain amount of undos. Um, and with the way that the the physics in this game work, you know, you never know when you're going to push the wrong thing and make a, an entire column or row of, of blocks drop that'll mess you up down the line. 
And I could see if you were not operating with a couple of levels of undo where you would just be banging your head against a brick wall. No pun intended. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it keeps on throwing new new types of like trap blocks uh, at you as you keep going. And really, it doesn't that that doesn't stop, you know, until the very end. Like it keeps on, you know, forcing you to adapt to new things like it's always trying to kill you. And the bosses are cool. Like, I expected the bosses to be frustrating, but they add, uh, A, a nice bit of, like, narrative and thematic, you know, oomph. You know, they're quite horrifying, uh, especially uh, some of the ones related to the baby that Catherine with a K may or may not be having. Um, that's not a spoiler. It's in the it's in the marketing materials. Um, <laughs> you know, but uh, they, they add a nice little bit of, uh, of chaos and urgency uh, to the game. And if you're working with those levels of undo again, it, you know, it doesn't feel, um, entirely, uh, cheap. So I, you know what, I, I hesitated to recommend it, but if you're listening to a video game podcast and you're not the kind of person, you know, who is the Christmas Easter call of duty, Madden gamer, if you're, if you're the kind of person who listens to a video game podcast and you're enthusiastic enough about the medium, you know, to, you know, to, to like the kind of things that we talk about, I wholeheartedly recommend it actually. Um, I think it's great. Question. Answer. The uh, the puzzles. You said they add new traps each time. Mm-hmm. Do the traps any? Or is it kind of? Is there any like uh, similarities to, like Silent Hill two? Like, do the traps have like uh, a certain symbolism to to them, or of like what's going on? You know what I mean in the story. I'm sure if I wanted to get especially um, you know English major on it, um, I could you know relate <laughs> something to it. The bosses, yeah. the bosses definitely do. Yeah, because yeah. you know the the entire thing is you know, or at least the at least the bosses they're obviously. Vincent, the main character's anxieties and fears made manifest. Yeah. Um, and, you know, bigger than God and chasing after him and, you know, obliterating, obliterating him with laser beams and chainsaws. Um, but uh, <laughs> I don't know about the traps. Well, you know, what I'll say about the traps is, you know, they, they really do. Like when you see, you know, when you see, I'll only give one example because I don't want to spoil it because when you do see what these do, you're going to think there's no way that I can ever surmount this, but you end up doing it and you feel awesome about it. But like ice blocks. Okay. When you step on an ice block, you you keep sliding until you hit one. That's not ice. Uh huh. Um, and so like ice temple and Zelda pretty much. Yeah. Um, so, but you know, so like, and if you push the block, it'll, that will slide along all the ice blocks as well. But if you pull it, it'll, you know, it'll, it'll only go, you know, one at a time. And so what it becomes is, you know, how do I climb up and down these narrow towers without sliding off the edge? Well, okay. You find a place where you can dangle and then, you know, kind of spider crawl your way around to where you need to be. And then you, you know, continue climbing up and you try to pull rather than push and it just forces you you know if you were taking it for granted that you could actually move without flying off the edge of the tower you know with one wrong button press um that can really mess you up right hmm. Hmm. and you okay. know, yeah and they're like instant kill box into and none of it's as cheap as you know that sounds um just because the, you know it is designed in such a way that there is a solution and you know once you find it uh, it's kind of like Portal 2 in that regard. Once you find it, it feels obvious, but yeah. surprisingly deep considering that, you know, you're dealing with cubes and, you know, climbing. It, it, it seems like it should just be like an arcade game, but there's there's a lot to it. Um, what I will say, I have a couple of control qu- control quibbles with those with those parts. Um, later puzzles require you to climb around the backside of the tower, um, which sucks because you can't see where Vincent is. 
like even if you rotate the even if you rotate the camera around to you know like kind of peek back there you can't see it if they would have done some kind of silhouette or selective transparency that would have really really helped things out um also when you go around the back side uh it, it, the the controls kind of reverse seemingly at random so you can fall off very easily if you do that um which kind of sucks yeah yeah but the voice acting is good visually it's amazing um the the story and dialogue, um, the, 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 the localization, it doesn't feel hyper Japanese. Um, the di- you know, the dialogue is great. It really kind of captures that feeling of dude banter uh, really well. And I would say the, the only real problem with the narrative is that it kind of falls apart in the last act. But, you know, that just kind of go- goes back to, you know, and, and I put this here in the review, you know, if there's a, if there's a central mystery to your story or, or, you know, even any mystery, it's better to leave a question unanswered than it is to answer it in an unsatisfying way. And I kind of felt like they did it in an unsatisfying way, not to, not to ruin it not to say that, you know, the climax that you're working to isn't ultimately worth it, but it's just kind of like, Oh, well that kind of, that kind of lifts the, lifts the kimono too much for me. So <laughs> didn't, didn't we, didn't you use that expression last week? I think, I think I did. I still think it's apt. Damn you. Um, <laughs> No, I'm just I'm just have to get used to this expression. I'm sorry. Okay. Just no, no, no. There's there, there's uh, it's it's titillation. It's it's uh, it's it's mystery. It's uh, you know, you don't you don't just lay all your cards out, especially if your answer is kind of goofy and stinky. So, <laughs> yeah. No, I like it. It's good. I mean, I understand if you might be hesitant to pay sixty dollars for that. I mean, you know, if you had a three sixty, I would lend it to you, Ben. Uh, same 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 with you. You know, David. It's it's just. A, a fun game. I liked. It. Ouch. What? Yeah, I was gonna say that's that's hurtful. What? <laughs> he had a 360. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not BPU. You're gonna get one back. Don't worry. But <laughs> so Cole's gonna steal something for you, David. <laughs> We're gonna avenge this shit, man. Rampage. Yeah. That would be totally worth it. Rampage. Yeah. Let's do that. for rampage. No, it's great. I like it a lot. Um. If that's not clear, go check out the review. There's probably some nuanced stuff. Do you guys have any questions about it? Uh, no, nah, it sounds, it sounds, it's a good review. Yeah, that answers most of the things. Trippy dream one. What's that? Is this the trippy dream game? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, where where he's uh, he's he's cheating on his girlfriend and he has dreams where he's where he's got like uh, ram's horns and if he doesn't climb up the tower fast enough, he'll die in real life. And there are other yeah yeah, yeah. that's that, that that's the one. <laughs> of course of course yeah that one <laughs> that actually does narrow it down quite a bit so yeah yep. yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um other thing i've been playing just a little bit uh today i picked up um sims 3 late night um just because i got a hanker to play some sims 3 and i wanted a new expansion so i got it haven't played an awful lot of it but uh, it looks pretty neat i like any sim game that uh that uh or mechanic in a Sims game that lets you be self-employed. Um, and this game does that because you can be uh, a musician and a writer and, and all that and actually, you know, make a living as opposed to, you know, needing to send your Real Sim life. off to... <laughs> as opposed to previously Ouch. where you had to, you had to be, uh, you had to be, you know, I'm a policeman or I'm a criminal. And then you send them off and then the game fast forwards for five hours. It, you know, it gives you more of like the work at home kind of like, ooh. See, I'm... I thought that's why they made cheat codes. <laughs> but I like that. I like the whole aspect of The Sims where, you know, you start out with, 
you know, you, you start out in a shitty place. Ooh, this also adds apartments as well. So I started a new guy and he's in a studio apartment. I like the idea of working up to, you know, get into a nice place, you know, with, with nice things and having lots of friends. That's, that's neat, you know, <laughs> to, to me as, as goofy as that sounds like the whole, you know, virtual, the whole, the whole virtual dollhouse aspect of that, I think more as like a, you know, because the, the main conceit of this, you know, money isn't the constraining factor in a Sims game. It's more, um, time and, you know, as, as, as like a, a personal time management kind of Sim game, that's where the Sims really kind of, uh, kind of, uh, um, thrives when I play it at least, you know, some people, they play just to design houses and, you know, some people play just to have friends um, in some form or another, but I, ouch, what <laughs> man, am I, am I being inadvertently mean? Uh, I think I that's, so. <laughs> that's one of the best types of mean <laughs> inadvertently mean. Yeah. But it's neat. I haven't played a lot of it. I played it for about an hour today, but I will never ever repent for my adoration <laughs> of the Sims. Don't you dare ask me to. Welcome to the discussion portion of our show, where we ask questions of ourselves and of the listeners. This week's question was suggested by you, Ben, so I'm going to let you introduce it. Okay. Um, yeah, so basically it's just, the question is, what games really nailed moral choices? And what games did a really poor job of integrating moral choices into the games? Right. Because that's hip, you know, I mean, it has been for about the past, I'd say, eight years or so. There's always some kind of, you know, attempt to bring the illusion of choice and, you know, morality, because that seems to be like a heavy, like, oh, we're making social commentary, but uh, it can go right and it can go wrong. Yeah. So first, what's the first game that you guys played that had like a morality system in it? Mm, Explicitly, I would say black and white. Okay. Um, have you heard of this game? Yeah, you've told me about it. It's like the game where you're a god and you you can smite things. Yeah, yeah, you're a god and you have you know you basically play a disembodied hand and you have villagers that you're supposed to you know keep track of and you have a pet that kind of like looks at your uh, looks at your um, behavior and mimics it. You know, we'll we'll learn from it. And that was actually a really interesting piece of technology too, because um, it's like a demigod that acts as your avatar. Um, on the earth and it was it was one of those games i mean this was by lionhead so it was the precursor to fable and uh. the things the things that you did had a very real um effect on the visual design so you know if you were an evil god your domain would look you know like all fire and brimstone and your pet would have like demon's horns and fangs and stuff like that and your hand would be all like veiny and gnarly that was the first <laughs> one that i that i did that you know had uh that had it explicitly implicitly you know there there may have been a game or two before beforehand but that was the big one i think okay how about david honestly i i have no idea i mean you know at some point it just was like suddenly that became a thing you know i'm not not, yeah Yeah. i'm not quite sure like what the not quite sure what the first time was (laughs) yeah yeah i think i mean i think the first one where i really took notice of it was in Knights of the Old Republic for Xbox. Yeah. And that that was a really good a really good place for them to do it too, right? Because yeah. 
you know, what is a better, more universally understood good versus evil conflict, at least in pop culture, aside from Star Wars, right? Yeah, yeah. Light side, dark side. Are you a Jedi? Are you a Sith? It's, you know, kind of cut and dry like that. Yeah, the whole story for that had already been set up in the movies, so yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Bioware, and you know, as as I think will come out in our discussion, Bioware is kind of the king of this. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So what did what did you guys? Or well, here I'll share one answer I got from Brian Sespico. Ooh, yeah, also known as the Beach, because um, <laughs> I mentioned this question to him, and he said, and his take on it was, with morality, you're going to feel good about it or bad about it whether you do it or not, but it's not really going to change anything. <laughs> so with that perspective, he said he liked Grand Theft Auto 4's uh, morality system because you can either kill the bad guy or the good guy, but it's still the same game. <laughs> See, I was going to say that because I felt like that was ineffective. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, the, you know, with all the nods that they were making towards, um, with all the nods that they were making towards, the, you know, this is a more mature story especially in the first third with Nico trying to break away from the life of crime. Like mm-hmm. everybody knows that scene where Nico is standing on top of the half finished building. And there's a guy who, you know, he's dangling off the side of the building and you decide whether to save him or not. Like that's the only one of those choices that you really get right uh, up until what the, about very the end. sniper scene. There, that, that's at like the very end, right? There's a handful of decisions that you have. There's, like there's the you choose between you have to kill one person or another yeah, person. Yeah, yeah, with the sniper. But, but but isn't but isn't that like on the boat? Like isn't uh, that isn't that was, the decision that that you know leads up to the very end though? Like no, the, no 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 no. I was thinking of uh, between I think it's Triple X and Dwayne, like the two rappers oh, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was thinking of the the um, Italian mobster and um, and the his brothers, the cop. Okay. Yeah, which there's... actually may, maybe this is the relevant thing that we all had completely different <laughs> ones that were so may, maybe it was actually more effective than one might think maybe yeah mm-hmm. but i mean I, I would i would kind of look at this you know the effectiveness would either be does this does this have a tangible impact on the way that the game progresses a and b does it make me you know kind of question my own kind of makeup okay and i don't i don't i don't know if either of those did that for me See, I okay. feel like for me, it's maybe the other way around. I I liked those because I really don't care that much about the aftermath. But <laughs> I felt the lead up when it was like, "Oh crap, what am I, what am I going to do?" Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I feel like that. That's maybe a little bit more important to me. But I but I can see what Brian is saying about you know. You're, you know, it's it's a, if, if it's a choice, it should be arbitrary. This shouldn't, you know, lock you out of anything or another. It's a decision that's made for the sake of the decision. And I can see yeah, how Grand Theft yeah. Auto would have done that. I mean, how about you, Ben? I mean, you, you suggested the story or the, 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 the question, how do you feel? So you gave your one answer. You're like, what's one where you think that it didn't, uh, that it didn't do too well? Uh, yeah, I have an answer for that. An answer that did not do it so well, I think, was Infamous. <laughs> <laughs> Have either of you guys played Infamous? Um, Do you I, randomly kill the cops or just wait for them to give you the thing they said they would give you? Yeah. Well, the thing with Infamous is they, they it was so blatant that you were making like a choice. And like – so anytime there is a moral choice, it stops and there's a cutscene with uh, a narration of, of the main character's thought. And he's like, do I – 
kill these people and take the food for myself, or do I give them to them? And you know, like like he literally spells out what your choice is, right? And then you do whatever, and it's just the difference between you having blue sparks and red sparks. So, well, and they were so incredibly irrelevant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like that example, you that that might make sense in to go back like a game like Stalker where you have to actually eat, but in Infamous <laughs> you don't eat. Yeah. Well, how about this? I mean, like the, the the good powers and the bad powers are wildly different, right? Like you, the, like they're they're whole different tech trees. One is yeah. more aggressive, the other is more defensive, right? Yeah. So, so I mean, there, there's there's a there's kind of a gameplay rationale, but the problem is that's gameplay story divide. Like there there's no, I just I, I don't know. It it, it leads you to make a decision based on how you want your character to play, rather than you know how you feel about the morality of the situation. Yeah, and. And besides that, like the morality choices, either one they were just cartoonishly silly, like mm-hmm. they weren't they were not hard choices to make or whatever. Um, but in another in another case, they wouldn't even be choices that you could make. You were going to get the same result with either choice that you make. It was going to be the same result with a slightly different tweak. Yeah. And so, like comparing that to Mass Effect One, where you choose which of your teammate lives, like. <laughs> That is such a harder decision, you know, like, mm-hmm. well, and I guess that kind of brings me into, um, I forget which game I had thought about was the best, the game that best handled morality, but right now I can only think about Mass Effect 1 and 2, is they, they bring up really interesting situations where there's, there's more going on than just a, a good or bad solution, it's, there's a lot of things you need to take into account, and a lot of different motivations i mean can can i say something about how nuanced the mass effect system is because it's not good versus evil because at the end of the day gotta hate that you know when everything kind of shakes out shepherd is always a hero but mm-hmm. it but it but it kind of depends on how idealistic or cynical they are like whether or not you're going to trust people whether or not you're going to follow protocol and whether or not you're going to kind of take things into your own hand it's the difference between uh between um all i can think of is dirty harry or you know uh, King Arthur. <laughs> I don't. I just like. Are you are you going to be the knight in shining armor? Or are you going to be the the loose cannon who gets results? Yeah. A- and and that kind of leads into well, okay, people are going to die either way. Um, but uh, yeah. how good am I? How how good am I going to look when I do it? <laughs> you know, one thing I really liked about Mass Effect is, um, oh Ben, you mentioned how blatant the. Um, you know, resistance's choices were, and I liked how Mass Effect kind of had the balance where, on the one hand, you know, it didn't just, it didn't make things simple, it didn't make things obvious, but on the other hand, with the, you know, top choice always being, um, you know, idealistic, bottom choice always being cynical, I found, like, I didn't so as often run into situations where the character would just behave radically different than what I intended. Okay. Okay. Because, like, often games I'll have, um, I, I don't know, like, I'll choose some more choice, and then, like, what the character actually does is completely different than what I expected them to do <laughs> from that choice and what I would have intended. Yeah. Well, can I, can I have one of our listeners respond to you, David? Sure. Okay. I mean, so this is this is Gary on on Twitter, DIV podcast. Um great podcast. I've talked about him before. Um but uh he says, though not a great game, The Witcher did this pretty well. 
you never really knew the consequences of your choices because here we go. You can never tell when characters are going or when, when characters are being honest. So sometimes when you think you're doing good, things go to shit. So, I mean, that's one of those things where a, it's either a vagary of the, of the, of, of the system itself and, you know, misunderstanding, you know, what, what they meant when they're trying to telegraph the results or it's the game, you know, trying to deceive you and, you know, making you a little bit more cagey about the decisions that you're making. Right. Hmm. So the Witcher, Definitely. um, another thing that he said, he, he, he responded to this in, in four tweets. And I admire that tenacity. Um, he said, <laughs> he said, my favorite example, however, is Planescape torment. It's the only game where I could not do an evil playthrough despite any practical rewards. The game makes you feel terrible for being terrible. So though the choices were black and white, the blacks were darker than wet black velvet <laughs> and the whites are merely a dingy, headache gray <laughs> right so that's awfully poetic wow. i like that yeah no he's he's great um and we i really need to work with him on something um but hey can i go back to um resistance quickly or infamous it, it was infamous. Oh, yeah that's why i meant um wow resistance yeah no more choices than that um no infinite i will say the one thing um although the actual more choices were were complete crap I thought that the um, way in which they had you use your powers was very good in that um, I like the fact that your powers could easily be very destructive to the surrounding civilians. So it really made me, you know, think through and be careful in how I fought. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like there would be times where, like, I wouldn't use the optimal um, power because for the situation because I realized that it would probably cause collateral damage. Right. But on the other hand, I felt like they didn't just beat it into you if you made a mistake and accidentally, um, you know, took out a civilian. It wasn't like all of a sudden, like, everyone hates you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. You monster. <laughs> yeah. Do, 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 the, uh, do the good powers make it, make it uh, um, harder to... Do the good powers make it easier to avoid collateral damage? They do to a certain degree. I mean, it's not so much make it easier, but they tend to be more more selective. A lot of the evil powers basically cause explosions. Yeah. Which like, tends to make um, things difficult. Area like, of effect. Like one nice example is uh, the upgraded, the, the good upgraded grenade uh, automatically uh, locks people up when you hit them with them. So they're chained to the ground as soon as you hit them with them, which is what you'd normally do if you're, if you're playing like a good way. It's the rest mode. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, Gary talking about Planescape Torment reminds me that I bought it off of good old games. I need to play it. Um, but you guys talking about infamous reminds me of one of the reasons why, one of, one of the ones that I feel like didn't do morality very well. And very much for the same reason too, because Catherine, for as much as I felt like the, the questions that it posed were, were great because it wasn't, you know, drown a box of kittens or feed an orphan. It, it, was, it was more like, you know, do you value stability and dependability or do you value excitement? You know, and just, you know, what are your what are your thoughts on, you know, marriage and commitment and these kind of things? These are interesting questions that no other game has done. But the problem is whenever you answer one of these questions, a little meter pops up. And on one side is a little angel, and on the other side is a little devil. And <laughs> you can always tell 
when you know pretty most likely before you answer too this is a binary bit to be flipped and if i if i answer lovey-dovey uh then it's going to be you know it's going to put me over in the blue and if i say get off my back it's going to put me over in the red and it shows that consequence immediately and then mm-hmm. when it gets to a point in the story where vincent is kind of panicking and you know consulting his internal dialogue about you know oh my gosh what am i going to do you know if you just found this etc whenever like it comes to like a story decision point that meter pops up and it kind of shakes and you know looks at where you're at and then and then after it references that then he decides how he's going to act and so it lays bare all of the kind of like machinations of the of the morality system when I would prefer that you do what you do and there's no indication of how that's going to affect affect things down the line because if during one night at the bar you go on a terror of you know little devilish actions and it sways you over to the negative you know how he's going to react the next time one of those things comes up and it's just kind of like it really it just really really takes the mystery out of it and i would prefer that there be mystery about these consequences kind of like infamous you know where it says do i uh, or uh, my name's my name's cole mcgrath you know (laughs) i I am not good at voice acting (laughs) so i was just gonna say um probably one game that had incredibly bad um more choices was um Oh, Army of Two, 40th Day. <laughs> um, simply because of how, one, all of, pretty much all of the more choices were more choices not to do evil things. Mm-hmm. And they were all, or many of them were very blatantly evil. Right. Okay. Um, you know, a couple of the early ones were like, you know, do I kill a... Um, endangered tiger in order to get some weapons i need to survive some things like that that were good is the is the is the tiger a weapons dealer who's trying to stretch jack up the price basically <laughs> um the tiger has killed um one of your like one of the enemy mercenaries um that accidentally stumbled into his cage and so you can kill it and take that mercenary's weapon okay or like so probably cartoonish. a better one there, there's one where like you come upon a guy who's like guarding like a weapon stock and won't let you in it's like on the one hand he's just doing his job on the other hand you're trying to like freaking save the city Mm -hmm. so a couple of them are good but then to give you some highlights they range from um probably the two worst were do i let a um a like six-year-old kid run into the middle of enemy fire in order to try to retrieve a sniper rifle for me? (laughs) (laughs) And do I allow a man to rape a woman, or do I stop him? (laughs) What? Yeah. Holy shit. That that legitimately makes me angry. Yeah, it's it's very... um, it's very weird. I I know it's one of those things where like, that's fucking appalling. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> that should that should just be the end of the podcast. Yeah, right we're there. done here. We're done here. Moral is just gonna go fucking. That's fucking hit. appalling. <laughs> Cut to black. <laughs> I'm gonna. Is there a clock tower around here? Because uh, humankind is fucked. Okay. Don't don't take it out on Clifton. 
Oh wow! Choice, right? I'm a, I'm avenging David's Xbox here. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so no, I think. Uh, let me say, like, as okay. a general principle, I feel what almost every game has missed is the fact that um, being good is almost always about making sacrifice. Mm-hmm. How, um, how you know what what we've said this before, or discussed this before. You know what what makes Gandhi so relevant is the fact that like everyone feels like he probably had the right to like fight back and defend himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like the problem games get is they don't successfully differentiate between like legitimate sacrifice that that results in a legitimate greater good, perhaps in the long term, or, you know, something versus things just sucking. <laughs> it's always either there's like a very transparent award as as seen in, say, um, Bioshock, where it's in your best interest to be moral, even though they wink that it isn't. Well, I, I was, you know, in response to what you said, Bioshock was exactly what came up because Bioshock, I feel like it would have been more, quote unquote, moral, would have had more, quote unquote, moral integrity if they would have given you absolutely no reward for saving the sisters. Right. You know, just kind of like just make it make it a difficult decision because if you're struggling to survive and you, and you need that precious, precious life goo. Then yeah. you're gonna take it, but you know. Although I feel like, on the other hand, although I think Bioshock could have done that, I think the problem is that most games just don't have don't have the moral backing, don't have the feeling behind it that could make that work. Because ultimately, what you're sacrificing for doesn't really matter to the player that much on an right. emotional level. Yeah. It's just the, the first time you save a little sister, and then after that, you know, Tenenbaum or whoever says, oh, we left a sock pile for you because you're such a saint. And then you go and you get exactly the same amount of goodies that you would have gotten if you would have harvested her. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and just you're right. There, there is no sacrifice there because you learn very quickly that it's more about which ending do I want to see. Exactly. Yep. So it's tough. Which, let's go back to Mass Effect um, does a pretty good job of that. Yeah, Mass Effect is Mass Effect is great. I mean, I like it because it's more about it's more about your morality reflected through the people that you're with, right? Because you know, at least I personally found myself invested in what uh, you know Morden and everybody thought about me. And there were some people that if you please one of them, you were not going to please the other, right? Yeah. yeah. What I really um, liked about Mass Effect is one the fact that I felt like the Unlike most games, choosing the evil roles didn't just make you into a blatant asshole, which you kind of referenced, you know, it being more cynicism versus idealism. Um, The other thing I liked, though, is I felt like they were, unlike most games where, like, there's this almost split personality between, like, over-the-top saint and, like, blatant psychopath, Mm -hmm. I felt like a lot of times... Um, Shepard's personality was constant. It was it was more expressing his emotion in a given situation. Right. So I felt more free to choose between them depending on the situation, and it didn't seem like I'm just like split personality. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Well, here's one of those things. Like Mass Effect 2 did this much better than Mass Effect 1 because in Mass Effect 1, you chose 
you know, you actually allocated points into, do I want to be intimidating or persuasive? Right. Yeah. Whereas in Mass Effect 2, you know, your behavior kind of modifies your capacity to be a paragon or a renegade. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you actually unlock the win button for any conversation by, you know, establishing those behaviors and establishing this as the way your shepherd would realistically behave. And it gives you those options to, you know, go with your emotion. You know, you see that you see that guard calling in your presence next to that uh, next to that window and that high rise. And you just know, you know, that even if you've been playing, you know, a fucking saint of a shepherd, you're going to push that guy through that window because you got to push the red button. You know, <laughs> note to self: Don't make Cole president of the United States. <laughs> those Oval Office windows. I mean, those are what two stories up? <laughs> two story. <laughs> <laughs> Never come to an audience for me. It's just yeah, um, yeah. So that's right. So I mean, do do we have any final thoughts on this? Because we're going over on time. Um, I, I feel I feel like we had a good conversation about this. It's good. Yeah. So. I guess what we're trying to say is be excellent to each other, unless it's a video game, in which case, you know, just try everything so you get the, you know, get an ending, a different ending. You, know? <laughs> you can always save and reload. That was episode number 123, one, two, three which is the only time we're going to have sequential numbers until we get to episode 1,234, um, which I think is projected to happen in uh, 2035. But uh, what can we do? What can you do? Um, Chances are you already found us through the website, but uh, go back there and check stuff out. Duckfeed.tv added a new uh, program. We have our first independent distribution deal, The Misadventures of Sherlock Jones. Uh, That is something that is produced at the radio show or the radio station that I work at. Uh, A lot of care goes into that and uh, uh, it's, it's a mutually beneficial thing check it out they're short episodes they're pretty funny um you can also subscribe to those damn ross bits it's all really good stuff we have more cool stuff coming down the pike um as the deals get solidified and my time frees up um other things you can do you can check us out on itunes um you know you can find the, that link from the individual episode posting uh please leave us a review um it's very helpful not only for our egos but also to get us noticed by the people who uh put podcasts up in the new and noteworthy section very very helpful um those reviews also like if somebody's looking at the show they just if they see you know hey that's a it's been reviewed very well then they're more likely to pay attention to it um otherwise just tell your friends that's all good stuff and email us at don't riddle at duckfeed.tv i think that's all the homework that we have um do you guys have any uh, suggestions uh, do it do it just obey just do it you dummy <laughs> <laughs> So for Stand Under the Don't Tree and Riddle Me This, this has been Cole Ross. This has been Ben Merkel. David Meisweth. And uh, um, just drink plenty of water this week. It's very hot out. Stay hydrated. Stay hydrated.